So why aren't we talking about climate change more? It's there. Let's talk about climate change. Here we go. We can have some conflict on this one. Yes. Yes. Welcome to Own the Future, a podcast made for and by changemakers, where we gain the courage to own our story, the freedom to own our craft, and the power to own the future. I am your host, Lucas Scrobot, and today we're with El Tamash Javid, who is a famous photographer here in Dubai. Check out his Instagram at AL. JVD. So look him up on Instagram, scroll through his feed as you listen to this episode, part one of two with El Tamash of Own the Future. But that's the problem with being a five, as I was saying, Mm -hmm. is that I, I research everything to make sure that I have the best possible option, Mm. which then causes me to oftentimes not take action because I have too much knowledge. Sin. Sin. It's my sin. Love of knowledge. Mm. Avarice. So with that, um, the video situation, I'm like, well, if I'm going to get cameras, one camera is not enough. Mm. I need three cameras. Three, yeah. At least two cameras. And then if I have three cameras, it would make sense just to find someone to go sit in the other room over there Mm. and live cut it Mm. so that I'm not having to go back and do that later. Yeah. To save time. But now your ticket price is just gear, 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 gear. It's an expensive hobby. <sighs> video. Expensive, yeah. Video, photography. No one realizes how expensive this stuff is. It is so. And, and then there's also the people out there that are like, you don't need expensive gear. Well, yeah. What's your thought on that? Yeah. Yes and no. Um, some of my best stuff has come from just walking around with an iPhone. It's not the best but not the best but but technologically they're just keep improving every year and yeah it's a very decent image right the best camera that you have is the one that's on you is the one on you chase jarvis yes do you listen to a lot of chase i used to uh not that much anymore why not uh it's like with everything just kind of lost interest in him yeah (laughs) sorry chase but except for for you listening to this podcast this episode these these podcasts podcast yeah so I, like i told you i'm new to the whole podcast yeah so i was like is it there on the phone like in a folder somewhere i'm like i need to really like look up these podcasts there's some really great there's the interview kind of like joe rogan mm. and then there are more kind of audio narratives that produced for kind of old style radio mm-hmm. that are out there mm-hmm. um which is another level of production it's takes a full-on team to produce. But do you think the uh, interview style is more popular than that? I mean, there's some of like This American Life, they're they're the top, top podcasters like NPR or they do like murder, like murder mystery stories, like like documentaries. I've heard of that, yes. I haven't listened to them, but they're wild, wild, I mean, millions of downloads, wildly popular. Um. So I, I think I have a propensity to go towards the interview style, mm. probably because the, the reason that I'm consuming. Yeah. Makes sense. Just like you probably would. Yeah. I like this better. You like interview style I better? I like the interview style better, yeah. So I guess it starts with that Joe Rogan guy. Yeah. When someone like Elon Musk gets on the show, like, oh, okay. He does have the video up, though. 
on on YouTube. But yeah, primarily, probably primarily. I mean, he's been doing it for like ten years. Yeah, I just read something the other day. Like he's making like millions and millions of dollars, and the whole thing is that he doesn't have a production company or something mm. in between. Taking a cut, and here you go. Here's a new model. Like, yeah, he's just talking to interesting people, and uh, he's able to monetize it. And what do they call it? The uh, the intellectuals of the dark web, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Which is what he did with Elon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's go to the dark side. <laughs> Eltamash, thank you for so much for being here on the show. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. I'm excited to have you. Yes, I'm. I'm interested to see where this conversation is going to go. I was <laughs> telling you earlier that uh, I feel like uh, you know, welcome to Own the Future, the Positivity Podcast. <laughs> and uh, man, I think I need more conflict. All right, cool. But sadly, I don't think we, I don't think we really have, we've hung out a lot of times. I don't think we really conf, conflict that much. No. I need to dig up more, uh, more dirt from your past and call here, you out on it. And here we go. <laughs> we could stage something. I'm down for that. <laughs> as long as you get the views or hears or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll give you a, a percentage. I'll give you a cut. Here we go. It's like, it's like, is everyone the, hearing uh, this, by the way? <laughs> it's like the, um, uh, Habib versus Connor fight. Yeah. We talked about it. We did. But Connor just was rolling up a bet, right? Mm -hmm. He was rolling up uh, views to get more money. He's a showman. He is a showman. He's a showman. That's why he apologized to him during the fight. He's like, listen, man, all that shit. Oh, that's <laughs> whatever. Don't worry. Just go. With the bleep. All that stuff I did uh, was to get the views and the interest. And that's why you're going to get paid millions of dollars because yeah. there's so many eyeballs in this fight. But uh, oh, I mean, he did not care. He's like, "What? I'm still gonna kill you." Yeah, I mean, for him, it's not anything about that, right? No, it's not. He's just here to destroy him. You said that about my religion. You said that about my father. I'm going to destroy you. And he did. And he did. <laughs> During and after the fight. Yes. Yeah. I think they just settled it. By the way, did they? Yeah. What like happened? Literally three days ago with the Nevada whatever commission because oh. they both got fined. So after all the footage, all the investigation, they finally said. You're getting this fine, you're getting this fine, and now you can take your, your purse. Was it like an equal fine? Or what was it, do you know? No, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Khabib got more on the fine. But they both got fined. Yeah. Well, Connor was definitely not without guilt Bef from yeah, the stuff he did before. Yeah, I think that was taken into consideration as the well. The bus stuff, <sighs> that was bad. Come on. That was insane. It's like, there, there, there has to come a, a, an ethical line somewhere where it's like, it's not okay to do that just to make a couple more dollars. Even both, even though both people are benefiting, yeah, it's still not okay to just. But there's a line, and it was crossed. But hurt someone, yeah, potentially really hurt, kill someone. One guy, like I don't know, some glass went to his eye or something. He could have lost his yeah. eyesight. Yeah, yeah, he had an operation and everything on that. There has to be a fine line, but I think he was protected. Connor. It's a crazy world. He was. He was protected. But then did you see like the whole, it's like how, how did Connor even get there in the first place? So there's mm. like conspiracy theorists out there that it was set up staged. by, it was staged. Interesting. I didn't hear this. That there's like, why is there a film crew there? And that he just happened to like burst in and. Wow. Imagine all this blows up one day. Like, I mean, I doubt. Exposed. <laughs> Who knows if it was? I was, I was doing a lot of research and like looking at YouTube videos, trying to figure out what, what the heck is going on. Yeah. And there's, you know, conspiracy theorists that the world is flat and the fight was staged. So, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Anything is possible. Give it, give it enough time, and the truth will come out. I hope. Yeah, I think it. I think it does. I think the truth always, always comes out. I was on talking on a podcast just a couple days ago, and that's what we said. You know, the truth of who a person is, their character, mm-hmm. it will come out one way or another, one day or another. It'll, but it will always come out. Absolutely agree with that. Yes. Yeah. So you're a photographer, but yes, you I used am. to be a banker. Correct. How did you take that leap? And how and why did you take that leap? Oh, well, um, same old story. Went to college. Uh, what do you think of college? So I went there to study computer science. Uh-huh. Sat in my first computer science class and the guy was uh, showing us how to assemble a computer. I was so bored already. I was like, I need to get out of here. How to assemble a computer. How to assemble those CPU types. We're not even talking like fancy stuff. Like, this is where the hard drive grows. This is where the motherboard grows. Like, oh my God, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I mean, there's a hardware element and a software element, Mm -hmm. right? But anyways, I lost interest in that pretty quick. Day one. Day one. It's like your first year, you should be able to like, I think the structure of university needs to be changed, at least here. Like your first like two years, I think it should be just discovery. Yeah. Like all the one ones and whatever. Yeah. So for me, that was that. And I ended up in a finance one-on-one course. And I think the teacher can make all the difference. Absolutely. So, I mean, this guy was a legend. And uh, yeah, he piqued my interest in finance. So I went that way. There was, I think we had an arts building, but like from where I come from, it's like, what? You're going to go study the arts? You want to study photography? I didn't well, even know. Were you into the arts before? <laughs> like as a kid? Uh, not, Would you play with cameras or pictures or no? More on the music side. Okay, what type yeah. of music? I I love playing piano, really like guitar. I had that from an early age. Yeah. So photography or do you still play? A little bit here and there, but I'm not good or anything. If I pulled up the piano up here, would you like do I'll a just, little like song uh, and little, do, just little a little thing? bit of my own thing? But yeah, it would be bad. Like <laughs> Chopin or Mozart? Nope, uh, not at Beethoven. all. Beethoven? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> just a little on oh, my little crappy composition, but that's it. Yeah, so I was more on the music side. Uh, my dad was uh, into photography and okay. and recording everything of our lives. So it's I was always been around me, mm. uh, but I didn't really have an like interest. Like I didn't want to hold a camera all the time and document everything, mm. uh, which I probably should have because we lived in Saudi and we did some interesting things. You've heard of uh, Al Ula these days, and it's all over oh, social media. Well, that, the, it's basically the Nabataean. Uh, empire. Right. Yeah. So this last one of their sanctuaries was Ula in Saudi Arabia, one in Saudi Arabia. Mm. And my dad is an explorer at heart. So I we've actually that. been there. Right now it's all cordoned off and tourism and everything. Oh, is that the, 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 where the elephant rock is? So it's like yeah. the Petra, if you've yes. seen the treasury. So there's one there and there's like carved right into a big rock over there. Yeah. It's like the, these tomb. is it the tombs? They're tombs. Yeah. I've seen it. They're all Muhammad tombs. showed it yeah. to us. Yeah. Muhammad. Gosh. Shout out to Muhammad. We Muhammad love you. Kaltam. I'm wearing your tamashi thing. Yes. You can't see it. Can you you see can't it? see it. But I'm wearing it. Uh, yes, I mean, as kids, we used to like go all over Saudi Arabia. There's so much history there. Um, where, in, where were you living in Saudi? In Riyadh. Okay. Yeah. Well, I moved around. I was born here. Then even my dad was a banker as well. So I, I, I was born here. Then we moved to Bahrain. Then we moved to Saudi. Mm. Yeah. So I was in Riyadh for the majority of my life. So you went into banking out of out of university. Correct. How many years? I did that for about seven years. And then what was the, what precipitated the the move? 
Well, or this, even the skill set, like what caused you to pick up a camera in the first place? Uh, phones. Just Instagram. Instagram came along. No, not and... even Instagram back in those days. So uh, it was just like be, having the technology in, in your hand. Mm. Um, if, and it was just natural to me. Like I, I, I like walking a lot. So I just used to walk around and like literally crossing Sheikh Zayed Road bridges. Like, you know, those interchanges? Yeah. Yeah. Like those massive interchanges. For some odd reason, I just like like walking on them. And like I used to live in JLT, so just to cross over to the marina side, there was no metro link, no bridge, nothing that huh. back in those days. I would just walk across, and I just find these interesting shots happening. So you walk across the freeway, not ba- like the, basically, not the like the walkway that no, goes over, just no, the freeway. There was no walkway back then. So I mean, I had the I had a phone, I had a I think it was a BlackBerry then, mm. and just like I don't know, I just find moments or something interesting architecturally or light, whatever, I just snap it away, and. Uh, where do you put this stuff? Most of it's on the phone. I've lost probably incredible stuff. Totally. Low res stuff, but like Low res. I, I remember some of them like, wow, these this is I like this. So I just used to put on my my personal Facebook. Mm. Just make an album and throw it up there. Yeah. And that was the start of it. Yeah, that was the start of it. Yeah. I mean uh with the banking, um I joined in the best year possible, two thousand eight. <laughs> So I, my my ex boss was like, you know, you have to like they recruited me right out of college, like they came mm-hmm. to college and all that, um, and they're like, yeah, man, by the end of the year you're gonna have a Porsche, like this. I I hired a kid like two years ago. He has a Porsche. No. Yeah, that's what he told me. I'm like, okay, I'm in for this. This is this is great. I'm gonna go into investment banking and we'll make a lot of money. Uh, I joined in January 2008. Oh my goodness! By March, I started seeing these weird signs of okay, like. My investor has some money in this fund, but it's not going up. He's losing value. Yeah. And Yikes. then um, I think by Yikes. What, what September, yeah. everything hit the fan by everything then. He crashed. Yeah. So it's kind of like survival of the fittest for me since then. But I knew from day one, like when but I- But you didn't leave banking. I didn't. Because you did it seven years. So how did you get I, I, through that? Yeah. So it was just literally survival. There what were did you do? a few good times here and there in between. Um, but uh, I mean, let's just put it this way. Um we had a company of 20 odd people. Mm. And by the time I left, I was the only one in that company. So how, did, how as a, n- a new person, mm-hmm. did you make it through to being the only one? I think I had the good relationships uh, with the headquarter you know, people back in Kuwait. Mm. Um, good support here and there. Uh, there's also performance link. So... But how so? What caused you to perform better people than people who had been there much longer than you? Um. So in the worst time in the market. Yeah. So I mean, primarily we were hired uh, to sell funds, mm. right? These mutual funds. And uh, early on, I I kind of like discovered like there's no control. Like I just basically put this money, someone's money, into a fund, and I have no control over yeah, it. Yeah, none. Right. I'm just there to make a sale. But I was like, no. I want to go into more like active management, portfolio management. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'd started doing. Okay. It was kind of like, no, I'm not going to give it to a fund and I'm going to start picking companies. That so instead managing. of just being kind of a cog in the wheel that's just yeah. trying to sell yeah. another mutual fund, yeah. you said, I'm going to try to figure out how to add a little Correct. bit more value to my customer and my company. Correct. So it's kind of like if there are two divisions in the bank, one is an asset management arm, which manages funds mm-hmm. for you. And then there's a brokerage arm. 
So I got closer to the broker side. All those guys became my friends. Like, no, like, like, what's the what's the what's the scoop in the market? Like, should we buy this? Should we sell this? Like, what are you guys hearing? So I became closer to that side uh. of the business. Yeah. So if you see them as individual businesses, I just left one and I went to the other. And I guess the upper management had so many headaches back in those days. Like they weren't really looking, you know. Yeah. It's kind of like as long as things are in order down there, I'm like lower management, whatever. Right. It's okay. Um, yeah, but the, I mean, the company went through a lot of problems. A lot but of you problems. made it through. I made it through. I mean, I, I eventually I quit, right? Right. You made it to the top and then you quit. Well, yeah, Maybe not, not, the, top, not, not, but... the, not <laughs> the top, top at all. I just made it to the middle somewhere. And then, uh, one day I just, I called it quits. I'm like, I really can't do this anymore. Did you have something to leap into when you called it quits? So just on that, like I said, I'll start my own investment management that is gutsy company yeah because i was doing it for so long it was just like i understood the infrastructures like okay so i, I can open up my own little thing mm-hmm. i can have these tie up with these brokerages except that i get a bigger cut of the of the the fee right so i get like a so me being me uh here we go uh <laughs> i said like i don't like the model where yeah someone gives you money and you just take your fee, mm-hmm. despite your value going down, which yeah. is the whole model in like mutual especially funds, especially mutual funds. Yeah, yeah. So it, which if is you, why it, they say don't invest in mutual funds. No, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's what they all say. Yeah. You had a hundred grand. If the value goes down to eighty grand, if you lose twenty percent, it doesn't matter. The guy is still gonna get his two or three percent. Yeah, yeah. So me being my, I don't know what the word is for me. I Perfectionist. Was like, you're, is you're that the, the one? one. You the one is lives by principle. So it's like yes, okay. this idea of okay. So the we, whole, whole idea I think is holy law. So it's just this principle mm-hmm. that governs mm-hmm. of what is right. Oh, okay. So I can actually play off that. You so, can play off that. So my thing of being right was you should not be charging money if the value is going down. Mm-hmm. So my entire business model was everything is linked to performance. There's yeah. no management fee in effect. Yeah. There's nothing steady. So if your 100 grand became 110 grand, so 10 grand profit, I would take a chunk of your profit. Mm-hmm. Not a small chunk, like 20, 30%. But that model like really clicked my clients. Like, okay, this guy is only getting compensated now if he makes if money. If he makes money. If he loses money, well, he's screwed because he's not going to get any money. Yeah. <laughs> and you need to recover my money. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that for a while. How long was a while? Uh, two years. Was it successful? It initially was successful in one trade. Just one trade. Oh. Unwinded everything. It was a very painful year. Can you share about that trade? What happened? Yeah, what was think, your thought process of using? Um, How did it all fall? What did you miss? Once you have so many wins under your belt, I think your uh, your ego gets the best of you. Mm. And uh, it's just so dumb. Like everyone knows you should be diversified and whatnot in your thingy, in your portfolio. But I was like, I'm really into like the whole uh, tech of like clean energy and all that. Mm. So there's this one company. I was like, these guys are going to make it. Oh gosh, you know, and, and and I saw their stock rise up, and it had a few corrections. But I was like, something about this company is telling me that. Uh, Are you more of a value investor? Or were you a growth investor? Uh, Sounds like you were more growth. Growth. It, it, I mean, the it was all about like it's more like towards momentum a tech. Like investor. Yeah, yeah. It is like go big or go home type stuff. So momentum. Yeah, definitely momentum. I, I sit more on the value investing side yeah. of it. Yeah, you should be balanced on both. Yeah. 
Yeah, you should be you should be in both of them. So yeah, one. So you buy into this. We went heavy. Green energy. We, we went heavy. We went heavy into it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, I did a few more after that with like the test lessons. So we can get into that. Uh-huh. But yeah, that sort of unwinded a lot of the 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 profits that we made. Well, so, did you reflecting back? What was the blind spot? Was it just that you got cocky with so many wins I underneath say, your belt, or yeah, I would say I got cocky. Were there people around you like verbally warning you, say, "Don't do this. This is a bad move." That you ignored. I still remember the when we were buying that uh, that stock, the brokers like. Um, Ultimus has gone up like 150%. Do you do you still want to buy this? I'm like, yeah, I think it's going from 10 to $15. It was like, it was around 10 then. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we executed a trade and I still remember that guy's voice till today. He's just saying like, that it's like, it's yeah, already up so that, much and you really it, think it's going to keep climbing. Yeah, this is a guy I've been speaking to for years, like years and years. So we've had like that debate and like, no, no, you're wrong. You're right, whatever. Mm. So yeah, um, I would say I got cocky. Yeah. Mm. Once you have so many wins under your belt and add like probably too many. Yeah. It only takes one. This is the thing. It only takes one trade in this world mm. to unwind all that work. Do you think that's true out, outside of the stock market too? Yes. Like with, because you, especially probably as in any craft. Yes. But I think as a photographer, um, in the arts, a lot of it, what we're trading on is trust and reputation. Yes. Correct. I mean, I see it in waves. Like, uh, I've seen uh, people change as soon as they get a certain amount of following. How do they they change? Well, when I when I joined this whole Instagram world, Mm -hmm. the best advice that I got was from a guy called Harold Herrera, Mm. and uh, he kind of manages the Instagram community. He's the one who does the photo walks, and and he. He he's a he's gold at heart, and he he's like you need to come out for these walks. I see you on Instagram, and you never come out and like shoot with us. And when I finally did, because I'm very shy, but when I finally did, the first thing he told me like, if you ever reach like the K's, mm-hmm. you know the 10K whatever, just please keep your ego in check, mm. right? And don't let it don't let the popularity and the fame get to you, because I've been in this game longer and I've seen people change. I've seen my uh, what I used to call my friends and they changed just because they had a K on their profile. And that still resonates to me to this day. Gosh. Yeah, when people go, oh my God, oh, I got a blue tick. I'm like, it doesn't come with a check. Right. It doesn't make, just because I got a blue check, I, have, I haven't changed. You know, if I respond to a DM, I was like, oh my God, you responded to my DM. Like, yeah, so? <laughs> I'm still a human. Yeah. You know, I still do the same things as you do. That and if uh, if you don't respond, it's like these are your fans. These are mm. these are your audience, your fans who love and adore and admire you and give you your, their time and attention. And yeah, I mean, I've I've always tried to respond to as as many people as I can. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can. Yeah. Um, sometimes I just go off Instagram, take a little vacation from I take it. a little vacation from social and stuff. But I mean, I don't know. This whole popularity, fame thing it just never change you as a person. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. I've, I've heard it said that, um, you know, they say money doesn't change or that money can always change you. Like when mm. you get rich, it changes you. Mm. And there's, I think there's the argument of people that says like, well, it shouldn't or you don't let it change you. But I think there's a realization that money or fame, it will always change. It will always change you. There will be an effect. It will be an effect. 
And a lot of it is probably exposing cracks in the foundation that's already there. Mm -hmm. Right? So Mm -hmm. if you have a crack in your foundation and you stick a ton of weight on top of it, that foundation's going to crack and you're going to become exposed. So I think it's a matter of working on your character, which is a big part of character's humility, which yes. you're talking about. Yes. Um, and with that, realizing when the dollars or the fame come in, you have to be more aware and... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? You gotta keep yourself in check. You have to keep yourself in check. And remind yourself. Remind yourself. All the time. You're going to be in a box at the end of the day, just like everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially in this whole artist like world. Like, I know people who literally become famous overnight. Like, They created one video and the whole community, the whole world is talking about it. Press picks it up, you know? Yeah. And give, give it like two months. No one's talking about this guy no more. Yeah. It's over. Like with this whole art world and your creativity, uh, it comes in waves. Mm. I feel like, I mean, you can be in super high demand one day and people can literally forget about you. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing is permanent. Uh, I think it, I saw, I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk that was talking about this recently that, uh, you know, when, once we die, we're forgotten. Yes. I mean, even if you think of the most iconic and famous, like Leonardo da Vinci, guys, like he's forgotten. Like, yeah, you know, a couple of his pieces. Part. Yes. But I, do I know anything about his life? No. Do I have any sort of like understanding of who he is as a person and appreciation for him? Like, he's great yeah. what he did. Yeah, yeah. But okay, whatever. I think about this a lot. No one cares. Once you're dead give it like I do this whole I give it like a three month thing after three months they're gonna forget about you yeah yeah I mean there are few people very very few people in the world that we still talk about like we were talking about Plato yeah but in general daily life nah Plato forgot about him yeah he he influenced our world yes and we know his name we know his name but do we know anything else do we know any? Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe some people know his work. Yeah, but I mean, it's like, and that's like one in billions. Exactly, it's so few. You know, so, so, so few, few. And, and the and the the level of remembrance or attachment is so minuscule. It's not important to my world. No, and I think that's what I see with. I recently did a podcast talk, talking about like, why are you doing your art? Why are you doing your work? Are you chasing the masses? Are you worried about getting another, like, are you dissatisfied with the amount of people who are giving you attention? Because if you are, you'll, you'll never be satisfied. And then when you die, it's like, well, that sucked. Yeah. Or are you really caring about one, your art, your work, the value of what you say? Mm-hmm. What message are you really trying to communicate? And are you really caring about the the things that matter in your world? And it's for sure not how many thousands of followers you had back in 2019 on Instagram. Correct. Yeah. I mean, if you keep chasing the numbers, and I know some of these people, you know, millions and millions, they're some of the most depressed people I know. Really? Yeah. That 5 million is not enough. Then 10 million is not enough. 100 million will not be enough. 
I don't know what the number is. Um, you'll see some of these artists that like, even though they've made it big, uh, they're not looking for purpose. Like, yeah, I can do another video, jump out of a plane and make it look really cool. But like, what am I doing? <laughs> there are some people out there that are thinking about, okay, let's use this fame and, you know, have a purpose. Like, I'm really big into the whole climate change thing, mm -hmm. you know, so I'll just go off on a rant of, uh, you guys do realize we didn't see fog this year, right? And if you've lived in Dubai long enough, I lived here since 2004. Mm -hmm. And as uh, as photographers or anything, like we're, we're the first thing we are is observers. Yeah. Right. So I've observed a pattern over the last decade and a bit. And now that pattern's changed. Mm. So why aren't we talking about climate change more? It's there. Let's talk about climate change. Here we go. We can have some conflict on this one. Yes. Yes. So, so uh, the one of the UN's um, initiatives for 2030 is climate change. Yeah. And addressing climate change. And there was recently a guy, I think his name is Bjorn, who did a study on cost-benefit analysis with you as a banker, probably understand cost-benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. And he looked at... The SWOT analysis, is what we used uh, to call it. Yeah. So yeah. he's looking at there's a certain amount of budget that mm -hmm. that the UN has. How? What's the best way to spend that budget? Because there was 100 and, 173 targets for the UN initiative of like global problems that need to be solved. So if you have like 173 targets, mm -hmm. you have zero targets. And if you only have, I think it was like 170 or I think it was around 100 billion, maybe 200 billion dollars for a budget that really requires 3 trillion, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to move the needle. So what his study showed that the the places where you're getting the most ROI would be places like free trade, mm -hmm. um, vaccinations, and uh, um, I think it was, I forgot what the other ones, but it was very- it was Targeted. Very, yeah, it was like focused on maybe uh, conception, getting, uh, not conception, gosh, birth control mm. towards lower incomes. And if you target these right, you'll actually get, for every dollar you spend, you'll get between 30 and $60 return on investment. Wow. But then, so now on this list is a whole bunch of green initiatives mm -hmm. that are trying to impact climate change. And for every dollar that you would spend on impacting climate change, you're getting maybe 20 cent return. So you're losing money on it. And so he said, if we were to put one to 3% of global GDP against climate change for the next 100 years, we might be able to impact the, the rate of um, temperature rise by half a degree. Yeah. So I agree that we have an issue with climate. And they estimate that over the next 100 years, that climate change will impact our our GDP by, I think it was like three to 4% or something very mm -hmm. nominal. Global GDP. Global GDP. Yeah, which is a lot. Which is a lot. So his argument was, you know, back in the day, they used to burn whale oil for candles. Mm -hmm. And 
Then they came up with a new innovation, which was fossil fuels, which burn cleaner and aren't making the whales extinct. And saying, if we were to invest into these other segments of our society, we would have more innovation and we'd have a better chance to actually impact climate change on the macro rather than saying, don't burn coal yeah. and you know try to convert everything to solar because solar is not or wind is not a, a viable option for climate change. Right. What are your thoughts with, with since you're a climate change guy? Well, I'm not a, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert or anything, uh, but is this something that I've uh, realized? It's, it's, first of all, it's real, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, like, we can start there because, I mean, there are people out there, very powerful people out there in the world that simply don't believe in it. Right. So if you don't believe in it, I mean, forget your trillions of dollars and how to spend your money. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a big problem in itself if you don't believe in it. Um, so me, just as an observer, uh, and, and you can read about all this stuff that's been happening uh, around the world. It's weird. Like, it's getting colder and colder. You know, climate change, people immediately think about temperature rise. Yeah. That's not what it is. It's an abnormal change in, in your, the patterns, mm-hmm. right? So the cold parts get colder and the hot parts get hotter. Like it's going to get unbearable mm-hmm. at some point. Um, but yeah, that's interesting of how to add. I don't believe you, you cannot just shut down fossil fuels. Right. If you did that today, if you shut down, if you said fossil fuel is the, the, the devil and just stop it. You kidding me? Well, there's the some, entire there, economy in America. There are yeah. some people Ortego, I believe is her name. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things, the new Green Deal, the things that she's proposing, mm-hmm. I mean, it is ludicrous. Oh, okay. I haven't looked at I haven't seen yeah. it. No, no, you have to be realistic. Yeah. A realistic, uh, like a realistic plan. But it doesn't mean you don't invest in solar or, or wind. Uh, the big debate with solar, even up to a decade ago, is it's too expensive. So the ROI definitely wasn't there. That and the amount of power that it would produce output. isn't going to, yeah. yeah, the output isn't going to cover what we need. Yeah. So now, I mean, now it's like solar is not enough. So in, innovations are going to keep happening. It's like, no, you need to pair that up with the battery. You know, it's not, it shouldn't just be a solu- one solution, the solar, and then it goes night and then you go, oh, what do we do? Power that with a battery. I don't know what's going to come in the future. There'll be something else. What do you think of nuclear power? After that thing in Japan? I don't know. It's kind of scary. <laughs> but I'm. it is one of the cleanest forms of energy. It is the cleanest form of energy that's actually able to produce a energy lot of to, power. To, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... Um, I mean, there's there have been incidents like Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, Chernobyl uh, um, the, the tsunami food. in Japan. Yes. I mean, uh, I'm all for it. Okay. As long as we learn from these things, I mean, nothing's going to go perfectly, right? Yeah. And every iteration of whatever disaster there was, if they can make more safeguards, Mm. then why not? And if you're immediately seeing that the nuclear uh, energy is much more cleaner with a huge output, of course you should be investing. I believe we're doing it here. Mm. Yeah, there's a big one about to come online. Of nuclear energy. Yeah. That's awesome. It's in Abu Dhabi. What, what are your thoughts on like a carbon footprint tax? Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. There's a... Do it. <laughs> you think to tax carbon footprint? Yeah. I mean... No way. If you were... Uh, no. It's, it's, it's just a, a shift in uh, what you want the consumer to do. If you're taxing something, cigarettes, you want to tax cigarettes? Tax it. I'm going to buy less. 
for sure. No way, bro. When when you ta- when you start taxing uh, me on my 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 fuel in the car, I'm gonna think three times about my routes. I'm gonna think more, and well, I'm gonna that's become tax, more efficient. That's, that's a sales tax, still. So we're talking yeah. about and this is probably more things that the whole, the, the are geared co- to the west. And again, it's saying, well, depending on your carbon footprint, mm. we're gonna tax you on that. Yeah, so these companies then, which is it's very it's very much of a left sort of argument, and it's the new, it's just a new, in my opinion, it's a new fear mongering sort of. Yeah, for that I probably won't agree because they're they they've they've tried that I believe, and they just buy up credits. Yeah, you know I yeah. won't name any X Y Z company, but uh, uh, okay, you're not discouraging them, mm. right? By uh, reducing their carbon they did they'll find a loophole they'll find they'll, oh. just, they'll just buy credits up yeah we we increased our uh consumption of whatever fuel or fossil fuel but yeah but we have the credits have you did you ever look at those studies and i don't know if they're any if they're true or not mm. but that uh electric cars actually produce more carbon footprint than oil cars like than gas cars i have not seen the study <laughs> i've i've seen study and I, again I don't know if they're true where they look at okay well what what's the carbon footprint of creating yeah. these batteries yeah. et cetera et cetera et cetera mm. and actually had a higher carbon footprint over the life of the lifespan of the car than a, a gasoline car and then that would be very counter uh, productive but from what I'm seeing it's because of you know having to mine cobalt. It's like yeah, all yeah, the mining, the whole, all these other the things that are going into it. Supply chain, the entire supply chain. It. Yeah, but um, I think the at least the automotive industry has probably done way thorough studies into this. And what I'm seeing is, and I work with a lot of car brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a realization point that's been reached. Uh, let's not talk about the whole chain, but like they're like, no, the future at least with automotive, is electric. Mm-hmm. And eventually the economics that what you just described will shift. Mm. It'll, it, maybe it's a negative right now if you look at the cost and maybe project it 10 years out. But eventually mm. more electric on the road is coming. and it'll, I believe. I, th- I think it's coming. Yeah, it's coming really fast. Are you into the, the automation stuff? Have you studied anything or read about that? Thoughts on that? I've been listening to stuff this week about... Yeah. I mean, it keeps popping up the whole AI and drive, self-driving cars and all that stuff, but I don't know. I, I I'm kind of fearful of that kind of stuff. Why are you fearful of it? It would be probably it'd be good uh, to have automation on the road. Mm-hmm. What do you think it's going to do for our our kids' futures? Oh, and I have two. Yeah, that's kind of where mm-hmm. I was going with the thought of what is automation going to do to. I mean, they're going to be like new jobs. Like so many of these jobs that we think of today will probably be automated. So what are our kids going to do? Like, And how are we going maybe, to prepare them for that world? Yeah. You tell me. I don't know. <laughs> That's me. the thing. It's just like we have no idea what's coming with AI and all this automation that's going on. You have to go into a dream world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in America, Amazon is putting stores out of business. And, they have and then been. soon, and it's probably more in America than here in the Gulf, um, you know, truckers, they're long haul, mm-hmm. you know, driving thousands of miles. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it happens here, especially across probably more so in Saudi. There's actually more. In the States, there are more truckers than um, 
just normal drivers. I read that stat. Really? Yeah. And then the truckers, they, I was listening to this, this uh, podcast talking about how the truckers, they are actually now, they provide small economy across yes. little tiny towns Absolutely. and food and gas. So what happens when there's all of a sudden no trucker, but it is just a, a thing going down. An AI truck yeah. with someone controlling 20 trucks yeah. from a station somewhere yeah. in Mumbai. Yeah. And that's coming. Oh, it is. It they is 10 to 20 it. years. It's going to be here. Yeah. That's happening right now. They're in tests right now. And you're going to lose all these little talents. Gosh. Yeah. It's just going to be point to point from now on. Big city to big city. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I think we're in for a big surprise. I'm, I am, I have not put a lot of thought or energy into, uh, can you really foresee the future? Can you really know? But I am, I am starting to think about my kids and wondering what world and do I need to prepare them for? Because there's right now, there's so many people who they're going to lose their jobs and they were trained and, mm -hmm for a world that no longer exists yeah. and that's disappearing quickly. Um, I just wonder, I just wonder what, how we can, but that's the thing we can only wonder how do we prepare them? I think, I think we, we can wonder, but I think we do have to, we have to be proactive. We can't just sit on yeah. our hands. Yeah. But it'll be progressive, like every adapting all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, going back to your story, we got sidetracked. We're going to get sidetracked a lot. I love it. Me and you. <laughs> I love it. This is how we have our coffees, people. <laughs> it just, it's all over the place. It is. Um, and I think it ties in. You were in an industry and then you shifted and you moved to something completely different. Yeah. Using a different part of your mind. Yeah. What that. happened to take that leap from you made a, a bad choice on a deal yeah. Everything unwinded. Yeah, everything unwinded. And, uh, but I mean, at this point, I was, you know, uh, going around, taking pictures. I had the Instagram up. Nothing. This is like nothing like big or anything. But I remember uh, getting my first job. And I got this email like, uh, would you take like 50 pictures or 20 pictures for us and we'll pay you this much money? I was like, all right. You're still baking at the time. I still had my business. Yes, I still had my business at that time. I was like, okay, yeah. How many followers did you have when someone? Not even, not even a thousand, I think. And what were you, were you using, a, a grill camera or a I phone? I was using an was iPhone. It? An iPhone. Yeah, and I remember I went to my wife, like, these guys think I'm taking, like, some good pictures, and should I buy a camera? Wow, yeah, what'd she say? She's like, no, I mean, if, they, if, if they're basing you off the quality that you're posting right now, just first test it. So I did. <laughs> And I shot their little whatever, whatever images they wanted. And I gave them 20 pictures. It had like an orange theme in it and everything. And they had no idea. It was an iPhone. And I got like 2,000 dirhams for it. Wow. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. This is how it works. Nice deal. Yeah. And uh, the, now... What year was this? I think this was 2014. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I... So I come from the finance world, but there's an entire world and I'm still learning. I'm, I'm a novice. I'm nowhere close to uh, being super experienced in this. The whole marketing world, mm. just marketing, you know, that's something yeah. like in college we looked down on, oh, you took marketing, what, you want an easy way out? 
Yeah. Yeah. Come do some quants with me in finance. Yeah. I'll show you. <laughs> yeah. But now that I'm learning and like pitches and oh my God, campaigns, like I've been on a few now. It's an entire world out there. And mm -hmm. I and I consider myself a complete novice. What has been the, the biggest challenge and the biggest learning point on marketing as a new in your now five years, four or five years as into photography? Uh, photography, like full time, like business wise, I, w I won't even say it's like it's two years. Two years? Two years. It's kind of been like doing your business. And then slowly transition. Once in a while you get a project and you're doing that. Yeah, I'm still learning. So two uh, years ago, you took the leap. Two years, I took the leap. Yeah, I'm learning that I've been underpricing myself a lot. Still? Yeah, well, not now so much, but like in, initially, like when I started learning, like, oh, because these budgets, like, they're big. Massive. They're like big budgets, and I'm just like, oh, okay, I'll do it for this much. And they're like, sweet. Oh, and they're like, yeah, you're on. You're hired. <laughs> but then you don't know all the other stuff, like there's a production manager, there's like editors, and... Uh, PR people, but they have like a massive budget for that. You created it, and you created it cheap, and then everyone else can take the a piece of the pie. Yeah, yeah. I've been learning a lot about the agency model. You know, it's kind of like uh, this is an in between entity between the artist and the actual company, mm -hmm. and the question keeps coming up like, okay, hold on, if they paid me 10,000 dirhams, how much did, did the company actually take? And I've heard like crazy numbers, like dude, they had like six figures on them. Yeah. Yeah, and and the artist got so much, maybe yeah. not even five, 10%. What are you it. doing to combat that? Well, personally? what I'm seeing is uh, a lot of companies now have come direct. They, they've they've been cutting out the agencies yeah. and coming directly to you. They've been coming, yeah. And sometimes I've been in a situation where the company has come direct to me, but the the money is still parked with the agencies. So literally what the agency is doing in this instance is transferring me my, my money. Yeah, so the person in this company says, uh, yeah, you'll get a call from this agency and just give them your invoice and they're going to send you the money. So this is what I've experienced not once, many times, in many wow. jobs. I said, why do you have them? What do they say? But they do a lot of other work for us. Yeah, they're probably putting together the marketing ideas, marketing, uh, yeah. content strategy, get, et cetera. Which and then they need someone to fulfill it. Yeah. But as a, as on the creator side, I'm seeing this a lot. Mm. Companies just come direct, like this and just cut out the middle. And this way you get more money. And I've seen it. I just did one the earlier. Um, last month mm -hmm. yeah where we didn't really need uh, the agency and they're like listen they're gonna take this much off the table but if you can come and give us the entire pitch and actually shoot it and everything you're gonna get double yeah so I'll do it it's epic yeah what were so you you've been learning that along the way I'm still learning yeah I am nowhere close to even calling myself like oh, I've learned and I can know every day is learning for me. Mm. Every day, every campaign, every shoot is learning for me. Mm. Yeah. Are you trying to, are you trying to kind of agent size? That's not a word, but you're trying mm. to become more like an agency yourself. Yeah. 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 So we've had that uh, talk between my friends and other creatives. It's like, why don't we just become an agency? And sort of the model is like, yes, we'll do the pitches and all the marketing stuff, but, we're also in-house creatives. Mm -hmm. We're delivering the ideas anyways. It happens a lot. 
Yeah, for the agencies. For the agencies. Yeah. It's like, this is our thing, but can you give us your ideas? And now we're like starting to value our ideas. Before mm-hmm. it was like, we'll just, yeah, I think this, this, and this. Here's my um, like mood board. And but the agency's I'll, like, great. Great. And uh, can, can you shoot it? Or sometimes they'll just take it. So now it's kind of like, we should probably be charging a consultancy fee yeah. to, okay, I'll make you one, but here's a fee. Now, before we've had the conversation where you had to pull back on your prices because uh, yeah, I've, the market was kind of slowing yeah, down. You, you, I think the market has definitely uh, slowed down. Uh, and also a lot of people have come in. Mm. Um, we were talking about this at GPP at yeah. length uh, uh, for the last week. It's just like there's so many creatives out there. We hear this a lot when uh, we have visitors from like LA and the UK or whatever. Like, oh, there's so many photographers out there. It's so like saturated. It's like very competitive. And uh, I've been in this game long enough to see that before, you know, that email of that campaign would go out to like three people, right? And now it's just like that email goes out. We love your work. You're you're amazing. And, like, and I just send a message to like oh, 10 people. You got that email? Like, yeah, we got that email. To try to get multiple Same. bids. Yeah, they just get multiple bids. Yeah. So I literally have like a group now, like, did you get this? It's That's what it's called. Did you get this? Yeah, it's like a dear ultimate, we love your work and uh, we see if you want like, yeah, yeah. You just change the name up there and you send this like 30 people. To get 30 different bids, 30 most different competitive. Bids. And... Yeah, most competitive, most person who will over deliver mm. will normally get the work. Uh, not all the time. I think, uh, you know, there are some brands and companies out there that are looking at the work. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Economically, yeah, this has been a bit of a challenge, and I've I've become, let's say, very adaptable to rates. What are what's the kind of the biggest secret if, that you could give away mm-hmm. of becoming not necessarily more competitive in your rate, but over but delivering a better value than everyone else, mm-hmm. and then being able to char- charge that premium pr- price point on that value. Well, one is turnover. Like uh, when people, you know, commission you for a shoot, um, just your professionalism. And like, yeah, you know, I can deliver this in uh, much faster than what you can get from the production company. Mm. There's value there. Like time is money. Mm. Yeah, And so if they see you uh, literally uh, delivering within 48 hours, you know, 72 hours, and then you over deliver, which mm. I just did for a campaign. I just did. You know, then it's like, okay, we're going to go back to this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not only did he been able to post process and did, you know, it's decent, you know, if it's the, if it's my, my creative theme, um, and he over delivered, they're going to come back. Yeah. Try just to be professional. Treat it as a business. You know, don't be late to your meetings. Mm. Yeah. Deliver good work. Um, and yeah, you'll get, you'll have that competitive advantage. Yeah. Have, what sort of percentage do you look for of people for the amount of bids that you put out there and the amount of bids that you want to close? Do you have a ratio that you, you aim for? Like for every mm, 10 bids? 50%. 50%. Yeah. It's kind of high. <laughs> yeah, it used to be. So I, again, it's always, uh, I'm always adapting. Before it was like, yeah, I was closing everything. But then I did see a dip last year where I was like losing a lot of bids. Really? Yeah. So now it's just like, at least let me get half of these bids, mm. you know? Because I've always heard that if you are closing every bid, it means that you're not bidding high enough. 
Yeah. So if you're getting every sure. job, you're not bidding oh, high for enough. sure. You're low. It's it's too low, and you're locking in everything. Mm. Yeah. But then it become uh it becomes like okay if you did get all those ten jobs and time and execution. Yeah, it's horrible. And you might churn out some bad work, right? Yeah. Whereas if you bid um, intelligently, mm-hmm. uh, you're happy with your pricing. You do le- uh, less projects, but you deliver higher work and, the and higher, you get more money. Get more money. So it's kind of like you don't want to win every bid. What are you doing right now to try to take that the leap from where you are mm-hmm. to being able to bid a much higher price point? As I'm sure you're trying to do that. I'm sure you're trying to differentiate yourself. Yeah. Well, to... one one thing that I'm definitely late to is video. Mm. Right. So I've been doing a lot of uh, like filmmaking and uh, just even doing stuff for free for friends projects and I'm now at a place where I'm comfortable with the editing I'm comfortable shooting I know what I'm doing so uh, and I know I've been late to the game mm. I've been late to the game just before just out of like this is stupidity this is fears like oh my god video like I was just getting a handle on this whole editing photos and making artistic and all mm-hmm. that do whole video and so it's a lot more work it is yeah, but you know, higher price point. Higher price point. Yeah. So, so video is something that I'm focusing on a lot. Yeah. A lot more now. I've done a few things here and there. And Do you find yourself creating stuff for more social media platforms or are you doing are you starting to move into commercials? I've I've moved into the commercial aspect. So when you're in the social space, it's literally like one minute, very short. And um with film or video, I it still needs to be me. You know, I'm still trying to find my voice. Mm-hmm. So with me, it's just like, I started out making like four minute, five minute videos. Like I love making travel videos. Yeah. 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 And uh, the the norm is just make it 30 seconds, high beat, yeah. high BPM. Yeah. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. This uh, hero scenes and bam, you're done. I'm like, no. <laughs> For me, it's just not natural to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll find a song first. That song's going to be like a good three, four minutes. Uh-huh. And I love this song. And the, and I was hearing that song at that destination. So it means something to me. And it's just like, I'm going to make an entire video. Yeah. On this timeline. This time, yeah. Do you, find that peop- do you find that people engage with slightly longer videos than kind of short? No, 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 no. It's quite the opposite. Yeah. If you want to keep... But do you find that you have a deeper impact then? If it's a long video? Yeah, I mean, I I think the where I'm going with the question is that everyone says, oh, make shorter, 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 shorter videos, mm-hmm. but yet we love The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Right? That's like, the, the series is like 12 hours long. 12 hours long. So it's a, it's a, I think it's a matter of quality, not length. Like there's, yeah. you can watch a seven second video that is so boring that after three seconds you're bouncing from it. Well, yeah, but you that, can be held for an hour if it's on, quality. Yeah. If it's quality, so storytelling is the one that has to come into play. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if your audience is catching on in the next first five minutes, you can see a story building. Yeah, it's not even necessarily getting the most amazing shots. I feel like storytelling is not being focused on a lot here. Mm. Yeah, so even in my travel stuff, I'm nowhere close to the storytelling level I want to. Yeah, but I probably should. Have you started to study a little bit more storytelling? Yes. Yeah. What are some of the the main aspects of storytelling that you focus on or methods? 
Mm, I mean the like story, like storytelling is has become kind of superfluous. Yeah. Especially in the Instagram world, especially with oh now you have a story. Yeah. And oh yeah, that it's like I find a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I'm storytelling. I'm a storyteller. But what does that actually mean? So when you say that you need to build story into your content, mm. what are you actually referring to? Well, for me, I mean, it's kind of like the layout should be there, like intro, middle, and out, right? Mm -hmm. But like if I'm going to a place, like uh, travel, like I'm going to a city, uh, why am I going there? Mm -hmm. You know, I make an introduction out of that. In the middle, I want to cover that place. I'm not just here to take pictures. I'm here. I'm here to learn about the history. I'm here to interact with the people. I'll, I'll do a little interview, mm -hmm. right? And then the outro, like, okay, what did I take from this trip? And I have that stuff. I have that footage. I have those pictures. I just haven't sort of made it into a mm -hmm. proper story. Yeah. Yeah. I think Chase Jarvis live, right, talks mm -hmm. about um, storytelling and, and uh, time lapses. So many yeah. people are out there doing that 30-second time lapse yeah. sort of high BPM videos. Mm -hmm. I'm into time lapses these days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love to, I love time lapse photography, but yeah, when you're I'm studying or, it, these or days. It maybe, maybe it might be uh, nice dad talks about this. Maybe it is. Yeah, um, it's sort of fillers. Those yeah, are just fillers. I mean, he's, it's a trend. A time lapse is a transition. It's, it's a transition it's into a pas passage of time, but that's not storytelling. That's not story. And he says, I think I saw a video the other day by him. He's like, "Why do I make time? If I was just to dump all my time lapses, would you guys even care? No, no, but." And it's he. I think he even said it's easy. It's an easy cheat to get views. Just do time lapses, but I don't use time lapses for that reason. Yeah, I use it. It's literally a transition for me. Yeah, it's a longer transition than you might think. It's not a fade to black. It's a watch this time lapse for like the next five seconds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these but are that just time tools. lapses is a is, yeah a tool a tactic a component within the story mm -hmm. that is actually needs to be communicating. It has to have a. Mm -hmm. In writing, in in video, in any sort of storytelling, that time lapse can't just be a superfluous time lapse to transition between two disconnected ideas. No, no, there but should it has be a to reason. be a bridge. Yeah, there has to be a reason. Yeah, that's there. Yeah, like if uh, I'm in I'm in Marrakesh and I'm trying to tell a story about that old city, but I'd love to like go on a roof and do a time lapse. Yeah, just to show the vibrancy and the the scope of the area and how busy it gets and the time yeah. that would be perfect for that. Yeah. Yeah, you can do like a day to night sort of thing. Like this place, this Medina mm -hmm. is on like all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And but the it's time communicating It's communicating that. It's intentional. Yeah. That's my intention behind it. Yeah. If I head back there with the time last knowledge that I have now, because I've been studying it, it's like, you can just put an iPhone on a tripod and do a time lapse. That's okay. That's the easy way out. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole technicality, you know, frames per second, how to make it smoother and like more blurry. I'm, I'm saying that these days. When you're using a, uh, like a DSLR, yeah. there's the flicker removal. Yeah. And, yeah, oh, yeah. I, hate, I can't, I can never figure out the flicker removal. It's like, uh, yeah, you need to, I think it's a frame rate issue. Oh, it's the aperture. It's the aperture. Yeah, so you need to be on aperture priority. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, so you are locked in. And then your shutter, if you're letting the DSLR uh, change it, mm -hmm. so you're in aperture priority, mm -hmm. it should not flicker. So, as, so, for example, if it's getting like darker, 
your shutter has to go for longer to let the light in. Yeah, so I do that. Mm -hmm. And I think what, what happens is that uh, when it when it has to jump, yeah. when it moves from one um, shutter frame to the next, then mm -hmm. there's like a little bit of a flicker and mm -hmm. there's a way to remove that post-production yeah. in Photoshop. Oh. And I've never figured that out. Yeah, I don't know how to do Photoshop. Oh, <laughs> oh you don't? No. What do you use? Lightroom? Uh, I'm a Lightroom guy and a few uh, apps on the phone. Okay. On iOS, yeah. So what's your creative process then in whether it's video or whether it's working with um, big brands, whether it's working with smaller smaller independent companies, what is your creative process or even in your art mm. when you're just going out? Are you, do you have a, a framework that you're viewing things through to try to put together a shoot or a creative brief? Well, personally with my stuff, no. It's just, I, I love it just to happen. Love the moment to happen, but yeah, if I have a job, like I had for this the car thing I told you, yeah, first thing is to pick up my note notebook. And yeah. where do you start? I start like again. It's like a story. Like what did what I I learned from the client. What are they trying to pitch for this mm -hmm. this product? And like how can I tell a, my story behind it, which is what I did. So literally, you pick up your notepad, your pen, and say, okay, opening shot here. You know. And then take them through a few scenes, uh, creating an entire, like a little mini film yeah. through it. And also, how am I going to incorporate, like, oh, I don't know, my city shots? Like, mm -hmm. I'm, like, if I'm popular for, like, the Burj Khalifa, how can I incorporate that into this video? So, yeah, personal stuff, no. We go with the flow type. But, like, if it's commissioned, then, yeah, I have to give it. So, thought. personal stuff, I mean, a lot of what you do is this... Um, mix of nature versus or urban, urban. Yes, which I really like. Which it made me think back to uh, when you were in banking, that you you found your your competitive edge through mixing two fields. Mm -hmm. So you were in in sales, selling mm -hmm. mutual funds, mm -hmm. and then you mixed it with oh, I, how can I actually add value? Um, yeah, I find that that interesting. It's probably a theme I'm guessing within your life of realizing that you're mixing two different kind of mediums to find a creative space or a new edge. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, even I didn't think of it that way. Wow. Yeah. That's so, a pretty cool observation by you. <laughs> even even within your, I mean, your photography, it's it's a car in the desert. It's yes. the moon next to a building. Yes. It's the it's the the contrast and the composition between an old mosque and the Burj Khalifa. Correct. Um, and this is used, this is a technique that is used um, in writing as well, mm -hmm. where you're contrasting two different ideas and you're kind of flipping it on its head. Mm -hmm. And I really like that you do that. Is that? Yeah. That seems to be very intentional. That's very intentional. Um, especially with the mosque, the masjid stuff. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah, we, you're always showing scale there. It's person person i want to show the scale and i mean in in our religion we have these like prophecies mm. you know and it's kind of like i'm, I'm prophecies like i'm witnessing it in my lifetime and like you know when you grow up in and in, in, i'm a raised muslim so mm -hmm. like we've had this one uh where the uh the people who wear slippers so like bedouins mm -hmm. they will build tall buildings you know so the other day where is that from 
Uh, so these are from the the prophet. The hadith? Yeah, this is a hadith from the prophet peace be upon him. Uh, so we have a few of these uh, out there uh, for the end of time. Anyway, so I'm walking around with my camera. Are you an end time guy? End of times. I mean, I've seen the signs that I've been learning about all my life or been taught to me. So as an observer, I'm walking on my camera. It's just like, oh, this is a cool composition. Like mm. there's a minarat here and yeah. there's a very tall building at the back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these, this voice comes in your head like, oh, you, you read about this when you're like, whatever, 10, 10 huh. 11. How do you make that into a picture? So you you have the right lens because I need I like to have compression mm-hmm. to zoom lens and then you kind of I'm all about like aligning stuff up and symmetry and all that kind of stuff. So it's like okay, and I and I did it the other day and and what I did what again one of my pictures what I want to do is like not just post a picture, right? So I I put that quote, uh-huh. yeah, just you think you snap seed or whatever, just put text. Yeah, that I had I had no caption. Yeah. I didn't write a caption. My my caption was his his uh, his saying, mm. and then it went berserk. <laughs> my comment section went mad. What did they say? Was it's it like, end of times? And it's true. And <laughs> like your picture is just telling the story. Like oh, I didn't mean. I didn't. I wasn't expecting that reaction. You do. You do a lot of uh, to digress a little bit. You do, especially with the moon stuff. Mm. Um and plain stuff, everything that you're doing, it, it there's a lot of timing involved, yes. a lot of yeah. patience. Patience, preparation, making sure in the, you that making sure you're in the right place right at the place. right time. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of uh especially with the I would say celestial stuff, like the yeah. sun and the moon. Um I'm always like watching it where they're rising where they're where they're setting. Do you have the app on your phone? I have uh something called Photo Pills but I I'll tell you a secret I don't actually use it that much. No? No. So I Do you uh, use the Stargazer app to know like where the moon will rise and the sun will rise? So I I would use Photo Pills for that just to get an idea but I found them they don't uh sometimes it's like a hit and miss. Really? Yeah, so um I'll observe it. Like I'll observe a moonrise. I'll ob- I'll see what angle is coming mm-hmm. out from, and you always have to be like ready to run. Yeah. So I I took a friend out the other day. Like, are you ready to chase the moon? I don't say chase the moon lightly. We're gonna run. Yeah. Yeah. Because th- this thing is moving. I forgot. Like a few hundred thousand miles an hour. Uh, you don't realize it because everything's kind of slow on uh-huh. Earth uh, when you're watching it. But when you are say making that moon touch the tip of the Burj Khalifa. You have you a, will, a moment to make that happen. You will observe how fast the moon moves. And you need to go find the right spot, be on the right setting, and get that moment. Because otherwise it's gone. It's not a spray and pray. No, it's not. No, you need to be ready for it. So, I mean, I'm. it's like every time I go shoot the full moon, I'm learning. Mm. I'm learning. I'm learning about longer focal lens settings and... Yeah, Canon gave you that ball of lens to play. Sony did. Yeah, so Sony? they gave me a bazooka the other day. Oh my goodness. It's a 400 millimeter 2.8. That was wild. Yeah, it was huge. And I'm like on the palm and I'm I'm standing very, very far because it's 400 millimeter and people are like walking by, jogging by, are you okay? And the best part is I didn't have a tripod. You shot that without a tripod? What a, did you use? I was handheld. Why didn't you bring a tripod? Did you forget it? Uh, yeah, I was uh, at the Palm for a meeting and I had the lens on me. I was like, oh my God, today's the full moon. And I've been thinking about was this. Was that sh- that super moon? The, yeah, the last one. 
I've been thinking about the shot and I was like, wait, I'm on I'm here. I think I can place myself in a in a way where I can get the moonrise right behind the Burj Khalifa. Wow. And I think I do have one shot where it's like partially covered. Mm -hmm. But the one I ended up using was like it's the you could see the full moon and it's next to Burj Khalifa. I didn't have my tripod then. But the Goodness. see the thing with the when they give me when you're gonna give me a lens that can shoot at two point eight, so two point is like it can allow a lot more light more light in. More light in. I am going I, I'm not I'm gonna test it at two point eight. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, I'm you gonna wanna test the extremities of I'm it. I'm gonna I'm not gonna go like five points so I can keep everything sharp. I'm gonna see how sharp it is at two point eight. And even for me, it's a good test to see how well it does in like handheld situation. Mm -hmm. It did great. It's not, it's not the cleanest image. I used a high ISO. ISO is like sensitive to light, so mm -hmm. your photos are a bit grainy, which can some people like it. Which, but that helps your shutter speed to be uh, much higher, faster, which I need. Yeah, it's because you're handheld. I'm handheld. It's a moonshot. It's dark. It's getting dark. Yeah. So yeah, I ended up taking that image and uh, well, it was, it was, yeah, I really like it. So, so even though you're kind of in your personal stuff, you're a little fly by the pants. Yes. It's still, there's still a lot of intentionality that's going into it. Yeah. I have a lot of intention. With that. Right. You don't just like roll out and be like, oh, I think I'm just going to go and maybe take a picture of the moon today. Oh wait, it's, it's not rising. It's actually, you know. Today is not the right there's day. There's no moon today. It's a, it's no a moon. Yeah. new moon. Yeah, yeah. So for some of my so there seems to be a lot of intentionality of timing yeah. and then place, place, and then an idea what shot you want to get before you take it. Yeah, I've I've uh, basically have an image bank in my head uh, of images I want to make. Mm. Um, there's always two aspects to it. So one is a moment happens, you snap, and wow, that was that. You happen to be at the right place I at the right happen time. Happen to be at the right place, right time, right light, everything. But that's probably one out of a hundred shots. Yeah, that's that's definitely less. And then there's like this chasing your planes and moons and stuff. It's like, I've seen it. Yeah. I've already seen it in my head. You need a bit of luck at mm -hmm. that moment. But your intention, the idea is there. You're prepared. You're watching these YouTube videos on how to shoot the moon. <laughs> YouTube. You know? Yeah. So I do have a lot of intention when I'm shooting specific projects. I think Orbaid and I talked about this mm -hmm. as well in that there is luck that's involved. Yeah. Just as in business, yeah. but it's the preparation that brings you that luck. That I think. brings you that. I don't believe in. I mean, luck. I don't like the word luck. I used to play poker for a <laughs> living, and because of that, I don't believe in the word luck. Okay, um, but there's probabilities. Yes, right. Yeah, and you improve them. So you improve them. So your preparation improves your probability to yeah. a land a job or b get a shot. Yeah. So your preparation, your skill, yeah. having as many of the the possible issues that will come up mm -hmm. solved beforehand mm -hmm. increases your probability of actually getting that shot. Yes. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I think uh, Obed is on the same line. Yeah, yeah. I think he does believe there is, you have to be a bit lucky or yes. increase your probability in a shot. Because there's a lot of things you can't, you can't control the, what the, the colors in the sky is going to be. Yeah. You can't control a cloud. You can't yeah. control a I'll, bird flying at the right time. I'll give you an example that moonshot um, I thought it'll be, you know, clear as day. Like I'll get that shot straight on, no problem. And it's a very tough angle that I have to take it at mm -hmm. to line up the moon. Just that day, they decided to do some road construction, and then this huge floodlight. Oh my goodness! Just, just coming into my 
my frame. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, how do I do this? And maybe in post I can. So if you see that shot, like you can see the boardwalk. Yeah. That boardwalk is actually lit by a huge floodlight. <laughs> Otherwise it'd be a lot darker image. So it worked in a way, but it was very annoying at the time when I was shooting. I was like, oh my God, this is the last thing I need. It's on, it's on, a, on a tractor and the guy's moving. So I'm adjusting my, my oh settings my to my light. I'm like, yeah. Panic attack. Well, it was just of, like you just went up to the Burj Khalifa floor 154 yeah, yesterday. yesterday. Yeah, And it was kind of foggy. It was hazy. I know. So it was a beautiful so there day. Is, there is luck. There is uh, things that are outside of our control. Oh, yeah. Big time. But the things that are inside of our control, we have to we have to be prepared for. We have to master them. And that goes to both your personal and when you're doing corporate shots mm. um, and shoots. Do you do you storyboard and plan out every single shot that you need to get before the shoot and say, okay, I'm doing this video. These are the shots mm. I need to get to be able to put this together, this composition. Mm. Or is it part of it just like, well, we'll see what kind of comes out. So it's kind of a mix of that. I will, n I, I cannot uh, storyboard, uh, storyboard every single shot. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people that work like that. And they will literally show up to a shoot and they'll be with the client. Here's the storyboard. And they just recreate that scene that they mm -hmm. have on the board. No, I feel like you're going to lose some element of surprise, mm. creativity. Something will happen on, 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 your, on your project. Yeah. And that will be the winning shot. Mm. That will be the winning frame. So it's kind of like, for me, it's like overall idea is this. Mm -hmm. We're going to these locations. Location's big. Um, and this is what I have in my vision. Mm -hmm. But let's not tie that down. Yeah. If something happens, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm prepared to shoot. Did you ever play jazz? No. Because that's very much, a, a, again, making a poor, jazzy an idea. Yeah. It's, it's, you get inspired and you just go. You have structure and you have mm. preparation. Like, you know what you're going to fall back on in case the creative, inspirational, wow moment doesn't happen. Right? You yeah. have that plan. Yeah. But the moment that that wow moment happens, you like ditch the plan. Yeah. Let's do this. And you go with and that. And you run with it. Yeah. And that's the beauty in this whole art world. It is. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It can even be a chef. Oh, you know? absolutely. And you have that moment of inspiration and you just like, I don't know, throw some seasoning, whatever, and it changes the dish and boom. Yeah. You made it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the beauty of life. You can't always go on a very rigid plan. Mm -mm. Yeah, let things happen sometimes. But you have to be prepared. Always be prepared. Always be prepared. I don't hope, have a 400 millimeter lens. Right. I cannot get that shot. <laughs> hope hope the unexpected happens. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Hope that that right person walks by at the right time yeah. with the perfect smile that looks at you. Yeah. Hope that it happens, yeah. but prepared for it to not happen and have a plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to like not go out with my camera a lot. And I learned that the hard way, you always have your camera on you. Al, what are you doing? So now it's like a ritual, like, no, I leave the house. I, I have nothing to do with photography that day, but my camera bag is in the car. It's in the car right now, just in case something happens. Yeah. You never know. Well, just, you're missing all the good stuff right here. Well, <laughs> I'm definitely coming back here because <laughs> this guy lives in an incredible place where planes are landing all day. So I, do, I don't take advantage of it. I know. I'm going to come with my tripod. <laughs> good. And do some like long exposures and like stacking of images. I have the ideas like popping in my head. That's so it's awesome. It's already happening. Like I have a thought flow right now 
and like I've seen your balcony. I'm like I know my setup. I know what I'm going to shoot with. What percentage of those those thought flows that go through your head do you actually bring into reality? I would say very few.、Mm. And this is a goal of mine this year to change that. What are you doing to practically change that? <laughs> you literally have to go out and shoot it. Do you have like a journal? Are you writing these yeah, things yeah. down? Yeah, yeah. So now I've written. I've I've been writing a lot more. I feel like when I'm writing, even my jobs and my income and whatever, I'm writing more. And I mean, really writing, not like on a notepad on your iPhone. You know, I'm I'm writing everything down. I'm planning it. I'm like this is my short list. Use pen and paper. Pen and paper. I don't know. There's something magical. There is. I don't know what it is. You guys can call me weird. No, there. I think pen to paper or pencil to paper, whatever. The, put it down. It's the hand. Yes. It's the hand writing rather than typing. Yes. It, it activates a different part of your brain. I, I guess so. Yeah. So I'm putting、I've, everything. I believe it at least. Thank you. We are on the same page. We're on the same page. <laughs> yeah. So I've been doing that and just like, I've seen that shot. And you know the worst is like when you've seen a shot and. Of course, you're not the only one. Someone else has that idea in their mind, and they go shoot it,、mm. just because you were lazy. You didn't、mm. do it. It's like the oh, I had the idea for Uber. Yeah. Oh, I had this. Oh,、Doesn't、I could、matter. have done it better. Ideas are cheap. It's like well, yeah. Ideas are totally cheap. Ideas are just multipliers of your execution. Yes. So if you have a good idea,、oh. and you have good execution, you know, ten times ten, that's a hundred. But if you have a great idea worth a hundred, and you don't do anything about it, you know it's zero. <laughs> zero. But if you do poor execution, then your great idea is also worth a、yeah. hundred. If you do one, right. But if you do ten, now it's a thousand. Yeah, execution is the key. It's the key. Yeah. Do you have systems in place? Do you try to? Are, are you are you moving towards trying to find that workflow system so that the moment you you have a pr- prospective client. You know exactly the path that you're taking them through. Yeah, I am trying to like formulate that in a way.、Mm. Yeah, for example, the car stuff. I work with a lot of car brands, and and I should have a formula. Yeah, ready to go. Yeah. What's been your your biggest breakthrough or your biggest hangup on creating those those systems as a creative?、Mm. Tough question. I need to think about this. Can we come back to that? Yeah, sure. Yeah,、um, I have so much shit going in my head right now. What's going in your head? Like a few jobs that didn't go my way. What what jobs didn't go your way? Let's talk about that.、Um, what what didn't go your way and why? Well, I had the one.、Uh, it was、uh, going to be something to do with travel, but like. I told the client something like, you know, this the weather, or whatever, is not going to be right, and they said, no, we're going we're going to go ahead with the thing anyways, and it didn't turn out to be the way they wanted it to be shot, and then it was like so much back and forth, back and forth, that ultimately we never created what we set out for.、Mm. Yeah, again, we were, I don't think we were, we just didn't plan it right. And was it on you or was it? On and then they blame you, <laughs> right? And I was like, I told you though. <laughs> And what could you? So where do you feel like you were at fault in that, or what would you do differently、uh, probably, this time around? Probably like、uh, you know have a stand. And just say it's not going to work at this time period. We need to be better at planning.、Mm-hmm. And if you had just delayed it by this many days, we would have gotten those shots.、Mm. Yeah, you need to be smart and adaptable when it comes to this sort of stuff. So I mean, did you not have it in writing? 
No. So this is what I'm learning as well. I have so much stuff with contracts and like just bouncing off of your lawyer friend, you know? Yeah. Like, should I have this in writing? So, I mean, as uh, I, I go along in this journey of becoming a, like a professional photographer, creative, you learn a lot about like legality and have everything mm-hmm. in writing. Um, I mean, one of the one of the things is like payments. Is like, um, okay, your payment is delayed six months, right? I mean, okay, wait a second. Maybe I didn't have a clause for that. Yeah. Now these days I have a clause for that, and I learned that like the hard way. What's your clause? So now, like, if you're gonna miss, like, okay, we have thirty days to pay me, right? Yep. Now we're at thirty-one. Every every month that you're delayed, one thousand, whatever, whatever, put an amount more. This is before. Wow. This is before the shoot. So this is a contract. It's a high penalty. Yeah, but then it, so that way they're like, no, make sure to pay this guy and get it over with. Yeah. Because it cannot, like, time value of money. This is what we learned in finance. It's cash flow. You can't. It's cash flow. Like, like if you, you can't pay wait me, six months. Yeah, if you pay me that 10 grand in, like, six months, it's not worth 10 where's grand the, to me. Where's the interest on that? Yeah. So that's my interest payment. So it's like uh, you're going on a journey and you're learning. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's good to speak to experienced people. I try to do that a lot. Uh, but also just like internally and within our groups, we're like, okay, maybe we should have a clause because I mean, this, this can happen easily. You can lose the payment. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I, my worst is six months, but I know people out there years. Oh man. But that, at that point is you, you're just never going to get paid. You just never get paid. Or even if you do get paid, like once you get the money, there's no satisfaction in it. Like I need the money then. I've heard, um, I've heard someone told me once, entrepreneur, he's so smart. He has like so many different like side hustles that are like, oh yeah, that was making me hundreds of thousands, but you know, I'm not really putting any energy and it's one of those people that you hate and you, <laughs> but you love that he's your friend, Yeah. <laughs> but you hate, you're like, why am, why am I not like that? He's yeah. so awesome. But, uh, he was saying to always get paid before you deliver your final product yes. because the moment that they have it in their hand, Very the value point. for that yeah, it just diminishes. Yeah. So we actually did this. Uh, I did a talk uh, uh, on a panel in GPP with a couple of my friends and this 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 came up and, and we, we, did, we had to talk about it at length to the audience. Mm-hmm. A lot of, you know, uh, young photographers, uh, videographers are there, how to structure it. So through the pain... I always take fifty percent up front. Yep. Yeah. So that's just, it's, and you don't start until it hits. And you, you don't, don't start, start until hits until the bank it. account. Yeah. Uh, so there's a fifty percent start and fifty percent on delivery. And right now, I deliver pretty much everything, but um, now I'm learning from some others. It's like you hold back. Mm-hmm. Hold if if they wanted twenty images, you deliver the fifteen, and just hold off those five winning shots mm. until the remaining 50% comes in. Mm. There's a risk where you can piss off the client. Have you thought about delivering, like, here's the delivery with kind of like a sample only yeah, so block we can, over? Yeah, we can do that. We do like low, low res. res. Yeah, I've done that. I've done that for like a lot of like events. Like, okay, right now I'm going to show you everything in the Dropbox. Because they need to sign off on it. Yeah. And like if are, I was, yeah, yeah, if yeah. I hired you and you did that to me, like, well, I need to see the other five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're delivering the low res so I can sign off on the project. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a system that I have in place. Yeah. Yeah. So especially like, like big event photography. Um, I did something in the, in the world cup. It wasn't your normal 
I was shooting the the performance, mm. and for them it was like there are gonna be so many images, like, and uh, you've only paid me thirty percent. That was thirty percent. And it's like so what we're gonna work, what we're gonna do is gonna show you everything, and it's all gonna be low res. Mm-hmm. So and, and that worked perfectly fine. They they saw everything like yeah this this this. They gave me the file number, and uh, yeah then I delivered the uh, high res. Yeah, and the payment came. Yeah, yeah. So you learn as you go. You have your systems in place. Mm. Yeah, but before like. Never used to ask for an advance, and then I, mean, I know, like in, in in certain photography categories, like aerial photography, uh, they take everything in advance. Oh yeah, and these are big tickets, and it's it goes back to cash flow. Yeah, because if you're if you're not taking it in advance, then you have to sustain that cash flow. Yeah, which is taking resources out of your pocket especially for aerial things like that's a lot of money yeah so i mean i spoke to some of these guys are like that nah, we don't have 50 we don't have 70 we take everything up front we have some insurances against the, if the shoot doesn't happen that day but uh even i think wedding photography mm. you should uh definitely i feel like when you take an advance you there's a commitment from the client side and then you're also locked in yeah because you just never know if they if they're not serious clients they will not give you that at least something yeah in advance you will know that this is a serious client once yeah. you get at least 50% i've done that with clients i've done you know especially when they're they're it's harder when they're closer to you in your relationship mm. and then and then it just doesn't work out you know whatever happens their their company hits the fan and yeah. you know they're no longer able to pay you. Pay you. You're like, oh, and that's so difficult. But I think that's where you need to you need to value your work. Yeah. So I mean, if if a company goes under, but you have the fifty percent, you won't feel that terrible. Yeah. You know what I mean? If that if you did all the work and months go by and they go under, I mean. It's a reality in life, right? Businesses go down. What are you going to do then? Speaking of businesses going down. Mm. Oh, shit. Let's talk about Instagram. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Own the Future with Al Tamash. Look him up on Instagram. His handle is A-L-J-V-D and his work is amazing. Make sure you tune in for the conclusion of the episode where we talk about Instagram, we talk about the algorithm, we talk about your art, selling your craft. It is, you don't want to miss it. And please, if you've made it this far into the episode, I'd ask that you do one thing. Tell a friend about the podcast. And remember, if you own your story, you will own the future.